Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Underdog Football Show. Welcome to the AFC and NFC Championship Game Previews. I am Josh Norris, 10-0 on playoff pick so far, aiming for 12-0 after this weekend, after the show, and that's Hayden Winks. Uh, two great games this weekend, Hayden. What's on your mind? I, I feel like I'm about like 2-8 and eight this this playoffs right now. No, I'm, I'm better than that, but you are absolutely crushing with all the stuff down to get uh, into these games. I do think this is obviously some, some like kind of um, after-the-fact analysis here, yeah. but I think these are the four best teams. There yes. was definitely some flaws into the Bills and the Cowboys. Yeah. I think those are the top six, but I, I will say these probably are the, the top four teams. Can't wait to talk about them. We did a lot this year. There were moments when each of these teams weren't their finished product, their final product as they are now, and I think that speaks to how long the season is and how we got here to this point. I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot. We'll also give you some of our favorite Pick'em projections to look at. So if you've never played Pick'em on Underdog Fantasy, the link is in the description down below. Maybe we even post one of our favorite slips later on in the comment section. Go ahead, Hayden. One thing, this is just from week six on, and we'll get to the reason why I picked week six as the cutoff. But look at the top five teams. It's the four teams remaining plus the Cowboys. And then look at the Lions. Look at the Lions down there as one of the <laughs> best teams in the league. I mean, OC's back. Top 10 draft pick. Who knows what the Lions can be next year all right both these games are on sunday i kind of wish there was one on saturday night and on sunday night but you know i'm not the deciding factor here really that'd that'd be pretty fun anyways we'll kick it off with the first matchup three o'clock eastern on sunday that is the san francisco 49ers traveling to philadelphia 46 and a half total in this game eagles favored by two and a half points i think it's only fair to start there with the favorite team Uh, we've always talked about it a lot this season eagles offense has consistent success at really every level of their team. You know, they're inside zone with their outstanding offensive line. They run it more than anyone else in the league. Then the RPO package based on that, the screen game on top of that. Then when you go to single high to move someone into the box to take away all those shorter chunk gains, then you have two guys on the outside and one-on-one in Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown who win down the field and create splash plays. How do you view this game offensively for the Eagles offense? Completely agree with you. This is a team that can win in both phases. I would not call this a balanced team because they pass the ball so often, but they can obviously run the ball and they can run the ball in short yarded situations. And to me, I was just looking at this like uh, as an NFL wide kind of uh, trend. It's the short yardage success that matters so much in the run game, not the explosive runs as much because it's much easier to get an explosive pass, but you have to be able to short short yardage runs. So when I'm looking at the Eagles specifically, this is also one of the team that probably changes up their game plan more than most. And we've talked about this at points. Their neutral pass rate kind of goes up and down. Yep. And this week, I think it's going to be a big pass week because yep. 
right now, the 49ers, according to next gen stats, they've allowed negative 182 rushing yards over expected. In other words, they're the best run defense in the league. That's not a surprise. If you watch their linebacker play, it's not just Fred Warner covering those uh, number three passes is CD lamb. They're very good. Drake Greenlaw as well up front. I think that if there was a spot there weakest at is probably out on the, the boundary. And that's where AJ Brown and Devonta Smith, I think they're going to lean into those two guys rather than the rest of the offense. To that point, though, on the outside, you have two physical corners. You might not be, you know, the biggest stars in terms of names out there, but they fit the system so well that they will get in your face. They will jam you. They will play press coverage. They will play man coverage on the outside. And that is a difficult matchup for whoever. Now, A.J. Brown, it was against different corners. I think Josh Norman may have been one of them last year against this 49ers defense. Um, but he had an awesome day, and it's because he was the alpha. You remember he came in, I think he had been hurt in previous weeks, and he goes for 120-plus yards and was winning at the catch point, was winning after the catch, all of that. We see this game so similarly because while everything, everything is built off the foundation of that inside zone and how cohesive the offensive line is across the front five for the Eagles that Jeff Stoutland does an awesome job coaching, the 49ers are like one of the best in the league, if not the best in the league, at shutting down inside zone, like 3.2 yards per carry. And you mentioned it's not just the two and really three linebackers that they can put on the field with Shair as well. Um, it's also how deep and how athletic and how big they can show you on their defensive front. So it is going to be so cool, as you just outlined, where it's not just game to game we have seen this Eagles team change who they are and what they lean into. It's even half to half and sometimes quarter to quarter as well, based on what the successes are. And Nick Sirianni said something during his bye week where he basically said, hey, we got rid of all of the cool and funky stuff that we were trying to do and really focused in on what we did best. And I think we're going to see them play the hits early on this game, see what works and build off of that a little bit. And they certainly will try to start in the running game, but I bet, I bet in order to get to the avenue of success, it'll have to be in that passing game and namely with those outside wide receivers like you talked about. The 49ers outside corners are very physical, but physical type of wide receivers have had success against them. DK Metcalf in the wild card round with absolutely bonkers uh, a couple weeks before that Devonte Adams had over a hundred yards in the touchdown the week before that Terry McLaurin he's more of a speedy receiver but he had 77 yards in a touchdown so I do think top receivers uh Devonta Smith or AJ Brown can get it done while we're talking between the two I, I noticed in the pick'em lobby the yardage difference the expected yards that works uh we're expecting from AJ Brown and uh Devonta Smith has really really yeah. Uh, narrowed down now it is 67 and a half higher lower for Devonta Smith only 70 and a half for AJ Brown and you can't even disagree with it if you just kind of look at like the last half of the season Devonta Smith and AJ Brown are basically getting the same amount of targets and I love AJ Brown but you can't even tell me that he's that much better than Devonta Smith at this point Devonta Smith is an absolute stone cold killer here so it's very tough to to decide which one of these two is going to get the better of them because I think both of them are playing at borderline top 10 wide receiver levels right now. I think from some providers for props, you could have gotten Devontae Smith at like three and a half receptions over the last two or three games. And he's hit that every single time with AJ Brown, as you're saying what he was three for 22 this past week. And sure, they dominated the giants yeah. and he didn't necessarily have to use him. Um, he's going to have to have a big game. 
I mean, I, I think it's such a factor here. And we didn't even talk about Dallas Goddard, who missed some portions, who missed that previous Giants game, you know, when we were trying to compare and contrast how that was going to play out. We don't have that here, you know, in 2022, 2023 with the 49ers and the Eagles. But Dallas Goddard against mm-hmm. the Fred Warners of the world, against anyone else, is such a difficult matchup. Like, it's going to have to be on these outside plays or A.J. Brown muscling himself, not just outside, but inside. And he's done that before. It's such mm-hmm. a revelation what he's become in this offense. And I think I also read that the 49ers defense, and this is shocking to me, that they are worse in the NFL at giving up 50-plus yard plays this season with, I believe, eight of them. Now, I think that can give a bit fluky when, you know, there's a yeah. broken coverage and then right. there's a big shot. We've also seen both A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith hit those covered and uncovered based on scheme or based on also their individual ability. The last note I had here is just kind of the different philosophies between these coaching staffs. And I just want to give a little shout out to Nick Sirianni. Remember yes. that opening press conference and some of like the yeah. first press conferences that he's ever had. He sounded like he was way bent out of shape. Now he's yelling at referees on the sideline. He was getting after it. They were doing some wild things uh, late in the game, uh, just kind of get every little advantage that they can. He looks really confident. He's yelling at everybody. I love this. I was not expecting Nick Sirianni at any point to come across the way he has. And they're going to be very aggressive, whether it was Sirianni. This is just an ownership front office vision. We are going to go for it when we have to because we have the ability to. They're like If it's like third and six, they might run the ball to get to, to fourth and two, and then you're going to be in a bad spot. They're catching teams off guards. And on the flip side with the 49ers, obviously the scheme is fantastic, but Shanahan, and it happened last week at times too, is super conservative when it comes to fourth down aggressiveness. So it's two different mindsets, new school versus old school. Obviously, I'm not calling Shanahan a bad coach. The scheme is untouchable right now. But it is very cool to see the Eagles have a very balanced offense. They can run it and they can pass it. But on top of that, they are coming down your throat when it comes to all the fourth down decision-making. All right, well, let's flip on over the 49ers offense then because just some basic facts to give the people out there. Rookie quarterbacks are 0-4 all-time in conference championship games. Those four rookie quarterbacks have combined for just four passing touchdowns compared to nine interceptions, and they've lost by 10 points on average. So your thoughts on where the 49ers have had success so far in the Brock Purdy era and how that can manifest itself in potential success in this game too. So the big difference uh, with all the Brock Purdy stats, obviously he's been exceptional getting the ball yards after the catch wise, creating some passes on his own, giving him all the credit here. The difference for this week is one, he's going on the road. Most of these games have happened at home and we're taking it up a notch uh, when it comes to the defense. I thought he played maybe okay at best against the Cowboys last week. There was a couple of interception opportunities that went through the Cowboys defenders. Obviously, that one George Kittle play was completely out of structure and now that a lot of the benefits came from George Kittle making that one-handed catch, but also Brock Purdy uh, throwing the ball downfield here. The difference this week is I don't think that they can... It would be very difficult. I shouldn't say they can't do it. I think it will be very difficult for the 49ers to claw back into this because the Eagles are so deep at, at edge rusher. And I'm not sure if Brock Purdy staying in the pocket when he has to do more of the traditional stuff is what you want to do. So obviously it's very easy to say, just go establish a lead and then don't have to worry about it. Like you have to play well to do that. But this is an upgrade when it comes to the challenges just because that Eagles uh, pass rush. And then on top of that, the two outside corners probably going to give Brandon Ayuk a little bit more trouble. Ayuk was roasting some of these corners the last couple of weeks. Obviously it's going to be much harder to do against what the Eagles have. 
I almost feel like you have to have a Brock Purdy conversation to start this 49ers thing, and then we build off of it from there. Jonathan Gannon, obviously defensive coordinator, who Nick Sierra has been propping up, who actually might be, I think, the favorite for the Texans head coaching job once he gets there. Um, Gannon, this is how he described Purdy. He plays extremely fast. He knows where to put his eyes. He gets out of trouble at a pretty good clip. And what I mean by that, you see some free runners or the pocket breakdown, and guys have a hard time getting him to the ground. I think that's a perfect way of explaining who Brock Purdy is. Um, I also think from like a media at large conversation, it's almost gotten to like the polar ends of the spectrum where you have, I don't even know which types, but he's the next best thing. Gosh, he can be a top 20, top 15 quarterback in this league. It's amazing what he's doing versus uh, let's try to bring him down to earth. You know, he's really not that great. His system. Yeah. He's only, he's only, you know, started six games, seven games, so on and so forth. I come down straight in the middle where I want to prop up what Brock Purdy is doing because I don't think it is just the system that is doing this. And when you watch him, I don't think that's the case to me. You might disagree because to agree with Jonathan Gannon, he does play extremely fast. His quick twitch to get away from pass rushers, to get away from pressure, to also swivel his hips, flip his shoulders and run some of these packages that Jimmy Garoppolo could not do, that is an element. And also on extended plays of four-plus seconds where his efficiency is so much fat, so much higher than what Jimmy was bringing to the table is a difference, again, that brings a different element to this 49ers team. Now, has he been incredibly lucky with interception luck and turnover luck? 100%. But at the same time, does the dude use his eyes to create even more separation for these wide receivers? Yes. Does he rip it? Is he aggressive when he knows one of his pass catchers is going to be open? Yes. And to me, that is most notable because we have seen so many other quarterbacks. It doesn't matter if they're Mr. Irrelevant, rookie, pick 262, whatever it is, in their second, fourth, sixth year in the league. When someone steps into this environment like he did to a contender, a Super Bowl contender, and to keep them a Super Bowl contender, that to me is what is most notable, that he is still confident. He is still aggressive. And that propels him to have these types of successes, I think, in individual games. And it's why I love it. Like, I'm a Brock bro, to be honest with you. I'm enjoying this experience. And it's because of just the aggressiveness that he comes to play the quarterback position with that I think is so different from what we've seen from the past half decade with any quarterback associated to Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, I agree. It's it's, it's a very fun watch because he's kind of a chaotic uh, quarterback back there. I agree that he his ability to create plays is a big benefit for this offense and something we have not seen. And I also agree with you that some of these interceptions have been completely or the lack of interceptions has been extremely fluky to me. Like the one thing that we haven't seen with that much consistency is just normal in the pocket throws. This was a beautiful pass. This was a post snap rotation from the safeties. And then he had uh Brandon Ayuk absolutely routing up uh, that corner at the top of the play. So he, he has shown the ability to do it, but this offense has given him so many opportunities where he doesn't have to do this. There's so much bootleg. They've been playing with leads. It's been much easier. And especially when like Debo Samuel and stuff are really getting all these yards after the catch stuff. Uh, George Kittle last week was absolutely phenomenal. Gave yep. number six on the Cowboys a bunch of problems. So uh, to me, you're going to have to win 
uh, over the middle of the field and with yards after the catch ability. And that's hey, where obviously great. this offense is. Right. But the, I mean, <laughs> we're talking about exceptional cornerback play on yes. the outside of, of all the teams in the NFL this year. The Eagles were 29th in how many yards they gave up to wide receivers on the outside. So I think early on in this game, I wouldn't be surprised if there's actually a lot of success on the ground or oh, over the middle, over the middle short passes. I'm not sure if we're going to see a bunch of out routes like that last route that we saw to Brandon Ayuk. I'm not sure how much we're going to get at that. So I'm going to be curious. I thought the, the 49ers offensive line was not all that great last week. They were kind of holding up probably better than what uh, their talent would suggest outside of obviously their left tackle. But the Eagles, I mean, if we get like a good Jordan Davis game, like Jordan Davis, like, well, like their fifth best defensive lineman. And we were freaking out over him in the NFL draft. If we can start getting some of these other players to really step up here. I think it can be a little bit of some troubles for, for Brock Purdy, just because he's going to have to do it in ways staying in the pocket, possibly coming from behind that are going to be a little bit more difficult. Trent Williams is awesome. But oh, yeah. the rest of that group, I would say their individual talents are yeah. not great, but as a cohesive unit, the other four mm -hmm. started working better together as the season went along. Remember early in the preseason, we were terrified of like the likes of Aaron Banks and whoever they had at yes. center. But you know, the more you play together, the the better you get. I think that's only natural. You know, I think PFF had them like as like their fourth or fifth best offensive line when it just comes to grades right. and pass blocking, and then their run blocking is a little bit worse. Uh, like right, like the right tackle was getting got by Micah Parsons. Obviously that happens quite a bit here, but we're going to see a huge rotation here. Like we're talking about elite pass rushers with depth here. So uh, I know I said at the top that I don't want to see Brock Purdy trying to come back from 10 points. And with these edge rushers rotating in and out, that yes. could be some problems. So I think they're going to go with a balanced, slow approach and really grind it down with, with Christian McCaffrey early on, by the way, Christian McCaffrey, uh, I know he's got subbed out, but that was at the very end of the game. Uh, that that's when Elijah Mitchell came in. So I'm curious to see with that calf injury, if that, if they want to get Elijah Mitchell going early on, or if that was just because they had a little bit of a lead to your point, Hassan Reddick. Awesome. I mean, great value signing, even after mm -hmm. over like $10 million per year, Javon Hargrave, awesome season for him. We know about the Fletcher Cox of the world, Jordan Davis, you know, even Milton Williams as like a designated pass rusher, interior rotation piece. It's unbelievable the depth and what Harry Roseman has built on that side of the ball. I slightly disagree with you, though. Ooh, I think Purdy and the 49ers understand that they're going to have to be aggressive early on with downfield passes and have to hit a couple of those in order for the Eagles to not sit on everything underneath. And I think they come out swinging and doing it. And hopefully you all by now have watched the scheme episode I did with Josh McCown on Brock Purdy, and I know it was in the final waning moments of that Chiefs game, but as soon as he came in, Kyle was like, we're going to open this up, and we're going to fire these downfield shots, and they have done it, I think, consistently. The Cowboys game did not go well with it, you know? A lot of that was a disruption that he faced. A lot of it was because he was forced out of the pocket, but some of it was because of just him as an individual talent. I think if there is a pocket, he will operate in it. He does like to move a little bit. But again, what he brings to the table is, let's say the 49ers offensive line just gets overrun. He gives, to me, a better shot than Jimmy Garoppolo does in this game because he has the movement like he showed last week against the Dallas Cowboys free pass rushers, Michael Parsons and the inside move, so on and so forth, where, again, he brings that quick twitch element to the quarterback position that I don't think mm -hmm. we have seen here. So he gives them an area to win. Does he have the strongest arm? No. But, like, I don't view 
Brock as a game manager, and he's gotten that label. No, no, no. I, he's he's playing a different style of quarterback than that. You know, yeah, I, I completely agree. the The one thing I think I will disagree with you is if the pocket is collapsing, I can see him moving himself into pressure at okay. times, and I have seen him do that. Uh, and I'm that with come, you. And that if the pocket's collapsing, I can see him kind of panic. There was a one sack that happened last week with that. Um, I do want to just mention real quick because we always just kind of say the the scheme of this ground game and just kind of move on. Everyone just says like Shanahan ground game there was this play that absolutely you. you have have it for me this is the eliza mitchell run at the end of last game you can probably count six or seven absolute perfect blocks on the run here the george kittle Ayuk hits one the right guard hits one in comes the fullback i mean we had to hit like six or seven in a row here obviously elijah mitchell should have stayed in bounds but this is like where it's very easy to draw this up on the whiteboard and just say like this is the perfect scheme but to actually execute this I thought was phenomenal. So this is kind of the craziness. Look at all this pre-snap motion. Now you have a, a weird set with uh, 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 21 personnel, and then in comes uh, the fullback to hit that last block. So this is just kind of the special stuff that they're going to have to do against a very strong uh, run defense with the Eagles. The 21 personnel, and I have a whole grouping on it here, it really is like the differentiator because how they can utilize everyone like here, for example, it is Debo Samuel into the backfield. It's Kyle Juszczyk at tight end. It's Christian McCaffrey in the slot. And so there's just automatic confusion on the defensive side of the ball here and equals, you know, a pistol run for Debo Samuel for positive yardage. Because then also you have Trent Williams pulling in front of you, or you can have George Kittle pulling in front of you, or you can have Kyle Juszczyk pulling in front of you. It's such a problem. It's anyone, you know? Yeah. And then on the next snap after this one, instead – it's Kyle Juszczyk all the way at the bottom of the screen who pulls Trayvon Diggs over to him, Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. And then you have, you know, again, it's George Kittle on the line of scrimmage and then the likes of either Jawan Jennings or Brenna Uke or Debo Samuel at wide receiver. And so they can just stay in the same package. They also love to do the silent count at times where they get out of the huddle and as soon as the center touches the ball, they snap it. So again, trying to check into the right areas for defenses and the responsibilities, it makes it so freaking difficult. And so while we began this conversation with Brock Purdy, I think it ultimately ends with, again, how great the scheme is, obviously, mm -hmm. of Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. And I will continue to bring up that the addition of Christian McCaffrey, who I haven't said his name a single time when talking about this team, has changed the landscape for the 49ers. It's so cool to see a successful play caller in Kyle have what we believe success with a running back in that position overall, and then a new talent, a guy with a different skill set that is very difficult to find. And Christian McCaffrey gets entered into and very into this different. Team. Yes, very, very different, different than the other other types that he has. And Kyle just immediately hits the ground running. And it's like yeah. he's been waiting years and years and years to get this type mm -hmm. on his roster. And to me, that has been the change for the team. Because mm -hmm. it's not just McCaffrey, who, again, can line up in all these isolated places and win his one-on-one -on -one matchup. Also, when you hit those checkdowns early on where McCaffrey forces safety outside, then breaks a tackle of a, another safety who's breaking down and converts a third and five into a first down. The eyes continue to gravitate towards him. And then you get those George Kittle intermediate or downfield shots for big yep. plays too. So yep. everything, everyone is dominant after the catch and everyone can make plays from multitude of positions. And that one, that's what makes the 49ers so, I think, fantastic.
to be a great one. Uh, a couple of predictions for you here. Uh, I think Eagles win slightly. I think the the point spread about three points is is about right here. Um, I think it's going to be the Eagles, AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, and that kind of downfield passing attack on the perimeter. Uh, being the difference, I think that the 49ers are going to look to get Debo Samuel involved early with some kind of trickeration. They had him in the backfield early on this game, like basically immediately. I can see that, especially if Christian McCaffrey's calf injury is at least holding him back to some degree. Um, so I think they're going to try to get Debo going in different ways. And I think that the Eagles just, I think that their pass rush a little bit deeper. And I just trust Jalen Hurts more than I do Brock Purdy under pressure. I think both of these quarterbacks, there's a chance that both of them are dealing with some uh, collapsed pockets. One note that Peter Schrager brought up from Good Morning Football, two staff members on the Eagles, did you hear about this, overlapped with Brock Purdy during his time at Iowa State. It's like the defensive assistant and like the quality control guy on the defensive side Uh of the ball too, which is a pretty interesting thing. Now, if Brock Purdy was this good at at Iowa State, he probably wouldn't have been, you know, 262. But that's a little cool wrinkle, I feel. Another podcast that I heard was – Brock Purdy during the pre-draft process, his quarterbacks coach, I think it was Greasy, uh, before he went to the 49ers. It was somebody he was working with somebody, and he basically only learned the Shanahan system this oh, entire pre-draft thing, cool. banking on banking on one of those teams picking him. So he all these NFL systems, he chose what like the six or seven teams actually use it, and they went all in for those. And obviously, it ends up with uh, that's what the the new Titans GM said on Adam Schefter's podcast that they he chose to learn this system, and everything's just since then broken that way. Also, I pointed pointed him to the bathroom, and if he pisses his pants at the NFL Combine, he goes undrafted. <laughs> My first pick, I'm taking the under at forty six and a half. I kind of like that too. Yeah. And as much as much as I have enjoyed the Brock Purdy 49ers experience, I have to pick the Philadelphia Eagles here. Um, it's funny in our pre playoff show, you picked at this point, the 49ers over the Eagles and you have since mm-hmm. flipped. Yeah. Um, I, I had the 49ers chiefs like two or three months ago. I just, the Jalen hurts versus Brock Purdy stuff. I, I just think that it's going to matter here. I think we've forgotten a little bit about just how dominant the Eagles can be. And trust me, like both of these offensive lines and defensive lines, and even beyond that are mm-hmm. fantastic at multiple levels. But I firmly believe what Jalen hurts has shown this season. And again, we'll finish where we started where it's not just game to game. It's not just half to half. It's also quarter to quarter, how they switch things up mm-hmm. and lean into what is working and have the playmakers to fit whatever is working. Yeah. Yeah. That's the big difference. And I think Jalen Hurts yeah. is playing at a level enough where he can operate and fulfill and have success mm-hmm. at whatever is working on that series or in that quarter. It's very clear how much healthier the Eagles have gotten like since that bye week. And I think that's kind of been the deciding factor for me. Also, like the Jalen Hurts stuff, we kind of gloss this over just like as the media in general. But I think if they do make the Super Bowl, it will become the Super Bowl storyline is people thought Jalen Hurts was one of the worst quarterback prospects. They booed him out of town at Alabama. Oh, like the amount of progress he was, that he's he was had, bad at Alabama, dude. He got no, I, I, I understand. I understand all that. But like even as a second round pick, people were like, what are you guys doing with Jalen yeah. Hurts? And all of a sudden he might he might be on a Super Bowl winning team. This is an insane storyline. It's a great point. I don't know if we have seen that many players at that position get increasingly better every single year. And I know he won national championships and and a ton of games at Alabama, but he got benched for Tua. 
I remember watching our Darius Stewart, if that name rings a bell, and be like, man, Sadly does, his, yeah. his evaluation would be so much easier if he had a better quarterback throwing to him. His quarterback was Jalen Hurts. Right. And you're right. He has increasingly got better. And there's so much buy-in across the board. And you add on top of the roster building on top of that and the coaching that goes into it, too. It's yep. really difficult, I think, to pick against the Eagles. I can, he's, the, he's like the original Brock Purdy. Like the Jalen Hurts storyline is out of control by its own right. All right. 6.30 Eastern, also on Sunday. Bengals, Chiefs, total of 47 and a half. The spread has been chaotic to yes. follow in this one. It opened with, I believe, the Chiefs favored by three points. Then it moved over to the Bengals favored by one point. The last mm-hmm. time I checked, the Chiefs are again favored by one right. point. And it's also the total that has moved too. It started at 52 and a half and is now down to 47 and a half. Read between the lines. Tell us what's mm-hmm. happening there. So kind of how sports books operate uh, early on in the week, right when lines open, the limits, the amount of money you're allowed to bet are very small. So you can make some speculative bets here. And I think that all of like the, the risk was with the Patrick Mahomes size. If he was like the MRI came up bad, or if he wasn't practicing all that stuff, it would move the line to the Bengals side. So that's what initially happened. But since then the money's gone up, uh, the, the limit size has gone up. We saw Patrick Mahomes get full practices on Wednesday and on Thursday, we've seen some video clips of him moving around pretty well. So it kind of matches all the tones here. So I think that's why it's gone back to the chiefs minus one. I can see this thing getting back to like minus two or something like that. The other thing is like a, a, the point spread going from like minus one to like plus two, you, especially with there's no ties in, in the playoffs. It doesn't matter all that much here. So it's been a lot of noise, but I think initially it was just speculation that was kind of unwarranted now that we have the information that he's been practicing in full and those videos, he looks like way more comfortable. And I have some takes yeah. about what happened last game as well. Okay. Let, let's talk about that a little bit because he was declared to have a high ankle sprain. Now he's gotten back to back full practices. I right. don't think necess- I understand full practices are great. We would obviously love for him to, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a high ankle sprain. Oh like, yeah. No. Yeah. 100%. He is still not 100% healthy. Right. So, I don't want to read into full participation in practice, meaning, oh, he's good to go back to okay. normal Patrick Mahomes. I, I agree with that. I After re-watching the game, when he initially got injured, he stayed in the game for like the next drive or two was drives. Hopping to hand off on outside zone. That's when he looked the worst. He goes back, gets, gets his x-rays. They come out clean. He obviously gets some pain injection or something. Uh, who knows what what freaking beaver tranquilizers the NFL is giving these players. But after that game, he did not look right, but he did look a little bit better than what he did those first couple drives. And I have some of the EPA numbers that we'll get to in a little bit, but he did look better. Um, I think basically he's going to have to win in different ways. He's not going to be able to move around as much. The scrambling ability, I don't think is going to be fully there, but I think for the most part, he's going to be fine based off of the videos I looked at. Um, I just don't think that it's just going to be like scramble out of the pocket and throw the ball 60 yards downfield. I think, especially the way the Bengals defense plays, I think this game's going to be very uh, centered around the quick game, scrambling around the pocket, throwing it underneath, obviously to guys like Travis Kelsey. I have a lot to say on his time to throw numbers, but I do want to rewind here because these teams played in week 13. We also know that they played last year in the AFC championship. They played, I believe in week 15 of that season as well. And the Bengals have won all three of those. Okay. Let's focus on this year in week 13, the Bengals won at home 27 to 24. They get out to a 14 to three lead. Then the chiefs came back and were leading 17 to 14. Um, There's a lot to read into here. And to me, what sticks out, 
Zero, obviously, Kadarius Tony snaps on offense in that game. Sky Moore had 23. Uh, just six targets, four catches for 56 yards for Travis Kelsey. In the regular season in 2021, Travis Kelsey only had five catches for 25 yards and a touchdown. Mm-hmm. But then in that third game, the AFC Championship, he went 10 for 95 and one. So in two games, they've done a fantastic job, at least in comparison to what we saw last week with an absurd, what, like 19 targets, 15 yeah, catches, right. whatever it was for Travis Kelsey and like the next closest, the only one other person having more than two or three targets. Um, Lou Anarumo's defense against Patrick Mahomes in this offense is fascinating. And I'm glad we're talking about it now on top of the element that you just brought up with this ankle injury because Hayden Lou Anarumo wants Patrick Mahomes to hold on to the football longer. You know what we have seen and always think of with Patrick Mahomes is when he holds onto the ball, that's when the magic happens, but Ben Solak and I'll pull up this tweet right now. It, it, it is amazing to me how Lou invites these quarterbacks to almost put themselves under pressure by not being under pressure. And here's a great graphic, okay? Against, you know, five of the best quarterbacks in the league, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. Their time to throw is anywhere from 2.85 seconds or let's say almost 0.2 more seconds against a Lou on a Rumo defense than it is their standard, their average for the rest of the year. And it was the case in their first matchup too. I mean, his time to throw was 3.21 seconds, you know? And when he had to throw the football or hold the football for four plus seconds, he was one for six in that game. One for six. That might have to happen even more with this Mm -hmm. ankle injury, you know? Yeah. And most famously, it was that drop eight game, you know? Correct. And that's when it's kind of... you. I would like to see it kind of both ways. I would like to see the Bengals blitz Patrick Mahomes, see how he can handle that. I thought that the Jaguars just like kept rushing with four and didn't really challenge him with to, to kind of move around the pocket when he was injured last week. But the on the flip side, if you only are rushing with three, it actually makes you scramble around in the pocket to wait for the zones to kind of open up. And maybe that's what they're going to do here is just only rush three. And then maybe that puts more pressure on Patrick Mahomes to kind of figure these things out. But everything... They, the Bengals uh, offense or defense doesn't want to do it. Just give up those big plays and give up plays on the perimeter. They're dead last in success rate to wide receivers on the outside allowed. Uh, I mean, they're just elite at, about covering to the boundary. So everything's got to come over the middle. They've allowed the most targets, receptions, all those stats, two tight ends in the slot this year. Obviously that's playing right to the strengths of Travis Kelsey. So, I'm more or less kind of copy pasting what happened in the second half of last week when, when Patrick Mahomes was definitely scrambling around, not as at an elite level, but was getting able, was able to get the job done with short passes to Travis Kelsey. I just wonder if Lou, who I have a ton of respect for has something up his sleeve. I can't exactly tell what it is, but I would not be surprised if they're rushing with three a lot this Sunday. So I believe they only rushed three on about six or seven dropbacks. No, one of five dropbacks that, they rushed for three in that week 13, but one of them was, I believe a third and four towards the end of the game. They sacked him. And then, you know, Harrison Bucker goes out there and misses a game tying 55 yard field goal. So like selectively it worked really well. Um, you also asked for blitzing. I think they've blitzed on 44% of his third down dropbacks in that game. And Patrick Mahomes actually torched them, torched mm-hmm. them on this play. Some really big chunk gains. I think both MVS catches, 
were against the Blitz. Uh, wow. So I, I am I am really nervous, to be honest with you, that if that quick game inside of structure, which again, the perfect ideal of maybe how Patrick Mahomes is portrayed in the media is viewed as, again, this playmaker out of structure, when in reality, he's so precise inside of structure that like yeah. that's where he's is perfect nearly if that is taken away which lou does so well especially with you know limiting early and often travis kelsey stuff then you add on the success they've already had with these four plus second plays and now with a hobbled ankle on top of it that is very concerning to go along with who was the consistent piece other than travis kelsey in this passing game that they can lead on to there's always someone that pops up for this team and has you know in each of these last three games against the Bengals. i mean lately it's been the running game it's like isaiah pacheco and jarek mckinnon and maybe they lean on that a bit more to start this but on top of that dj reader has been unbelievable in his on off splits at stopping the run for this defense so when i went back and if i think if there is a spot that Mahomes looked worst at uh, with that ankle injury. It was with these under center runs. And I was looking back at the EPA um, after uh, Mahomes had that injury. And once he came back in uh, their EPA on runs was negative 0.24. They had a 22% success rate. And a lot of that was just because Mahomes could not reach out the ball in time and was throwing off the timing there. So I wonder if they're gonna have to stay in shotgun the whole time. Uh, if Mahomes That makes the run game more difficult. Yeah, so I, I, that's why I'm expecting like my kind of angle here uh, for when it comes to pick them stuff is just the receptions for the Chiefs, like people like Juju, obviously Travis Kelsey, and then Patrick Mahomes with his completions. If he has to just sit in shotgun because he can't, he's not as comfortable under center with that ankle. Um, I, I do like some of those some of those metrics for him. I also wanted to bring up this note and let me find it. Um, how successful this Bengals defense has been in second halves versus the Kansas city chiefs. I believe in all three games, if you add up second half points, it's only 20. Okay. And then in fourth quarters and overtimes, it's only just two field goals against them. Like the chiefs have been what at least 73% win percentage in each of the games they played and end up losing all three. Yeah. So let me ask you this from a, I don't know, football watching standpoint, narrative standpoint, analytic standpoint. Can it be true that a defense just improves in the second half of games and also in the fourth quarter of games? Because I am not putting it past Lou Anarumo to understand how to shut down defenses late on in games because they have proven it against the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Well, I, I I go back to that Peyton Manning, Eli Manning broadcast where they said that the halftime adjustment narrative is a complete myth. They said that they're, they're able to do three things at halftime. They said, use the bathroom, eat oranges, and say, let's go. <laughs> I, I think that that is taken a little bit out of context where they're not sitting in the locker room being like, okay, this is how we're adjusting from the first time. doing it, yeah. Correct. They yeah. actively learn, and this is why they're looking at you know, tablets, not just on the sideline, but up in the press box, up in the coach's station, all that stuff to see what is working and what's not and how to adjust. Like to think that adjustments do not happen throughout a game, I think is blasphemy. Yeah. I I think there's a a middle ground here where the coaches are doing it, but the players aren't necessarily like kind of going up there and on a chalkboard, like dicing things up at the same time, obviously Andy Reid's going to be making adjustments. So um, I think it's probably noise, but I just think directionally this, this Bengals defense has just been playing 
way better than their uh, their talent would kind of suggest here. And obviously, I think that's because uh, their defensive coordinator. Um, quick note on just like playing time. Kadarius Tony's not getting any snaps, basically only like 12 of them. But I looked, he ran nine routes in 11 personnel. That's three wide receivers. He got targeted on six of them. Six of the nine snaps he played in 11 personnel, he got the ball. Um, they're still using Justin Watson out there in like one wide receiver sets because he can kind of like get downfield and block. MBS is just a deep threat out there. Juju Smith-Schuster is basically all but disappeared. I do think there's a chance that he kind of fits kind of what the Bengals want them to do is throw the ball to Juju Smith-Schuster. So I think that could be a little bit of a rebound game. But I would love a little bit more Kadarius Tony. I know he's more of a gadget player right now, but... I think the only upside for Kadarius Tony at this point. I think the pick'em lobby is about fair. Um, 34 and a half receiving yards. He's been like completely outlier level. He's like number two in yards per route run in the entire NFL right now. Um, that's because he's like when he gets on the field, he gets the ball. But um, I would hope that they get Kadarius Tony more involved. I think they might have to if the Chiefs are going to stay in too high and make Patrick Mahomes kind of scramble around the pocket and throw the ball underneath. I think Kadarius Tony could be a beneficiary of that. Yeah, wisely, we do not have any Mahomes rushing projections at the moment. I certainly will probably take the lower on all of those. Uh, you mentioned receiving, not just for wide receivers, but for running backs. I know Pacheco hasn't gotten a ton of receiving usage so far this season. However, when it became a two-person backfield, they were running some passing plays intended for him. So the six and a half higher on his receiving yards sticks out to me a little bit. And Siege then I, might return. I don't think he will, but there's a chance. No, I, I, I think it, it they are really like nicely saying he's not in our plans, to be yeah. honest with you. It's easier to hide behind the injury than to correct him. And then let me bring up 2022, week 13, when Travis Kelsey was stuck for six targets, four receptions, 56 yards. Marquez Valdez-Scantling stepped up for two receptions and 71 yards. Guess what? I'm going to show them both to you right now. <laughs> Can't wait. You're not going to gonna make one person add a, a pick and slip with him. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Look, bringing heat. Boom. This is what I he, he was. He was the blitz hot. He was the big play against those pressure looks. Um, anyways, I just wanted to bring that up. MVS is not a thing. Uh, I just wanted it's to, tough. it has been very tough. And this is why like he is the lowest among Kadarius, Tony and Juju Smith-Schuster for his projection at 27. He's, he's, he's out there. Receiving. Yeah. He's literally, he's literally out there. Um, Justin Watson at eight and a half receiving yards too is his higher or lower, which yeah. how many snaps he plays is, is definitely intriguing. All right. We need to talk about the, the Bengals offense. Cause this is a fascinating one too. Oh yeah. Um, what stood out to me when I went back and watched that week 13 game and looked at all the numbers this was just another example of how different the Bengals offense is this season compared to 2021, right? When we love the explosives on the outside and single high to T Higgins and Jamar chase, but in week 13, since he had drives of eight plus plays on seven of their eight drives. Okay. Just one play in that entire game went over 20 yards. It was a 40 yard reception to Jamar chase. It was a methodical offense. It was consistent and it was relentless. And it all boils down to not just the rushing success that they had with Samaje P. Ryan in that game because Joe Mixon did not play, but it was just the pre-post precision from Joe Burrow having Steve Spagnuolo's number. 
it was an absolute clinic. That would be like one of like the Joe Burrow games. Like if you're just doing teach tape and you're like a young quarterback, put on that that Joe Burrow game. The in-pocket stuff, his eyes, the yes. accuracy, talking about like throwing the ball away from defenders to save him. They kept running these uh, different types of zone and they simulated pressures, all that fun stuff that, the, that Spagnuolo wants to do. None of it worked. And I, I was sitting there watching that. I don't know what offense or what defense I would try to run. Maybe I would like just double Jamar chase and play man coverage because Joe Burrow against that zone was absolutely just dicing them up. And like you said, it was just long drives. It wasn't just like splash plays. Like the first time that the chiefs and the Bengals played against each other, that's when it was like cover one, cover three. I have single high ball up to Jamar chase T Higgins. Since then the chiefs have learned that's not the way to do this thing, but it still hasn't worked, you know? So uh, looking back at it, it was that they scored 27 points. One of their drives got down to the five yard line. It was a fourth and one. They ran that reverse to, I think it was like Trent Irwin or something like that. And that got Trent stuffed. Taylor. Trent Taylor was, uh, that one got stuffed and there was a bad drop from Tyler Boyd on a, on a kind of pick route wow. wheel that should have been a touchdown. And then the final drive, they were moving the ball and then they didn't have to score because the game was over. Totally. They the Chiefs defense didn't have basically a single rep where they won. And it wasn't because they were playing bad defense. It was just like you were looking at the Joe Burrow stuff and like, how the hell are we supposed to stop this? Right. Again, we want to point out that they won in week 13. They've won the previous two before that. And they haven't even played perfectly. You know, it's not like they've run hot in all three of those games. They left plenty of plays on the field. And your point of, well, maybe you just try to double Jamar Chase and figure out what happens from there. In week 13, I believe Joe Burrow completed 80.6% of his passes to eight different Bengals. You know, 10 of his 11 plays to open the game were out of shotgun, as we keep on talking about. Um, They ended, as you said, with that 10-play drive, including that clutch third and 11 pass, which was great coverage, was great coverage. Yet, Burrow just drills it to the body, to the numbers of T. Higgins, and it's over. That's like, how the T Higgins touchdown looked like too. Simple, you can't stop this stuff. Yeah. You know, just yeah. the way he's playing. You mentioned it. Burrow struggled against quarters. It protected the sideline with two, you know, deep safeties over top and against the chiefs. He crushed it. Yeah. Like, and we're still getting new stuff from this team too. Like remember back to last week, early on in that first quarter, they were getting Jamar chase in this orbit motion. And once they started getting that, their offense was just yeah. running down the faces of the Bills defensive line because they saw, hey, when we motion chase across the formation, this nickel back has to fill this gap mm-hmm. and he's not going to be able to tackle. And our offensive line, despite it being 60% different, is a fantastic run blocking unit. And I don't know if the Chiefs have an answer for that defensively. Chris Jones is awesome and fantastic at winning his one-on-one pass rushing snaps despite I don't think ever having a playoff sack that was an also figure I read recently which is pretty crazy but in terms of like stuffing the run they don't have a DJ reader on their team you know um yeah the I would say the difference between this week and the last week for the Bengals offensive line is I do think that narrative about the snow helping the offensive line definitely probably matters a little bit. And Jackson Carmen played well. That's their left tackle who was actually benched as a guard, uh, but played tackle uh, at Clemson in college. He was fine, but he's not very athletic. And I thought he kind of was getting away with some, some stuff last week. Frank Clark, uh, and Chris Jones, I think could cause a little bit more trouble this game versus just what the bills did last, last week. So we'll have to see, to see what that looks like, but just the way the way Joe Burrow is playing, I'm not sure like how much it all 
really just matters for the most part. Just, just to bring that point on, look to the left. They're going to put, you know, this side of the field under duress. You can just see this nickel corner because obviously Jamar Chase is pulling that corner back to the sideline. It is just a high load read, basically. If this defensive back crashes down on the underneath route or sticks to a spot, then boom, you're going to have this outside breaking route again because of the separation in the space that Jamar Chase creates. And if he drops back, then yeah. boom, you just have to swing pass uh, underneath. And then now you shift on over to a two by two stack set on both sides. And you're just going to get, I believe it is Willie Gay, like in a blender here, having to decide between going out to the shallow route or keeping, I think that's either Hayden Hurst or Trent Irwin. They both have long hair. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> over the middle of the field. And then you can tell his brain is just being pulled in two opposite directions here. And he doesn't know where to go. And as soon as his wide receiver crosses that linebacker, it's a wrap. The ball's already there. Yeah. On the body, on the break. And as soon as the safety drives down, it's already too late. If you're playing, if you're only rushing with four and you're playing zone behind it and your pass rushers aren't getting home, the game's over. So maybe you try it to see if, if you just get Chris Jones absolutely dominating, possibly a, an injured center, a backup right guard and all that fun stuff. But if the winning with four pass rushers and playing zone behind it isn't working immediately, I think this is when you're going to see Steve Spagnuolo just really start bringing it, doubling Jamar Chase, having more pressure looks just to do something because I the, the zone stuff this last the last matchup was just not going to work out. It was just pinpoint accuracy and placement from Joe Burrow. Um, real quick, uh, sorry to cut that film off, but in week six is when the Bengals were kind of they're farting around the first five weeks, kind of probably farting. running running the ball probably a little bit too much. And then we started we saw a scheme change, a lot more shotgun, basically all eleven personnel and more passes. And the neutral pass rates for the Bengals really kicked off after week six. This is where they looked like in uh, offensive EPA since that point. They're right behind the Chiefs here. So I think this is an even matchup. Uh, I think the point spread's fair. I would guess the home field advantage matters a little bit here. And I would make the Chiefs a slight favorite. But I think my favorite play on this isn't exactly picking who's going to win this thing because I respect oh. both these teams. I think it's just take take the over and over. get some fireworks going because I don't see the the Chiefs defense stopping Joe Burrow and I think that uh, Patrick Mahomes probably going to play a little bit better than we're expecting just based off the stuff I've been seeing on the practices and after rewatching that game last week. This is all anecdotal and maybe it happened two weeks ago, but I can't remember the last time the Bengals didn't score in their first drive. It feels like they just have such a rhythm on that first drive that's either going to be a field goal, most likely a touchdown. And uh, like we just showed, they put Willie Gay in a blender. They put Nick Bolton in a blender in that first game, too. Um, they put real quick. They put the whole defense in a blender. They were <laughs> the last time they were staying in, in two, uh, two high shells and they were being patient early on that game. And it was a Samaj P. right? Joe Mix wasn't even playing that game. And they're running the ball consistently with Samaj P. Ryan uh, when it was Wasn't it over six yards a pop. It was. Yeah, it was basically there were six men in the box playing too high. And they would just run the ball with Samaj P. Ryan, take their six yards, and eventually they had to make some adjustments. And that's when Joe Burrow really came. came up. So the Bengals will say, screw it. We will run with you. Maybe with the backup line, it'll be a little bit more challenging. But the whole defense was in a blender last time. And we said this about Nick Sirianni, where you go from his first press conference to what he is now. The same thing can be said for Zach Taylor. Oh, yeah. You know, his we first asking, two years. Who is Zach Taylor? We literally asked the question to Joe Goodberry, the GOAT, who is Zach Taylor? And he didn't give us an answer. I feel like we learned who Zach Taylor was in about week five of this season, mm -hmm. you know, when they stopped farting around, as you put it, and really became this identity as we know now. 
And we said it all year long, and it's now coming into fruition. They are a better team now, more consistent game to game than they were last season, despite going to the Super Bowl. And I'll yeah. stand by that, even if they I agree. lose this game. Because one more play, I'm not going to bring it up, but that they showed the last time these two teams played without Joe Mixon, awesome red zone confusion that they created. Anytime that defenders don't know who they're um, attached to while also running quickly, then good things are going to happen to the offense. I mean, they had a bunch right set with Chris Evans and then had Jamar Chase in the backfield. They rushed to the line of scrimmage. This allowed Chris Evans to run uncovered on just a shallow route, pitch, catch, walk in for a score. This might just, again, narrative street, anecdotal, whatever you want to say. I firmly believe that Joe Burrow and the Bengals just have the Chiefs number at the moment. And it's tough for me to say because Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. He's the MVP. It's in Arrowhead Stadium. But, I'm, but I am picking the Bengals in this game. So we have an Eagles-Bengals Super Bowl in my brain. What about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. I guess I would go with the Chiefs here. But I, I do agree this is a complete coin flip game. I just think there's going to be a bunch of points here. Um, and I think this would require magic from Patrick Mahomes. But... Uh, because I, I I think that Joe Burrow is going to have a hell of a game here. So all the pick'em stuff I like in this game. I like a bunch of the hires here. Just like give me the field goals, give me give me the Jamar Chase receiving touchdown. I just think there's a bunch of things that can go right uh, for the Bengals offense here. I think a lot of it's going to be uh, short completions. Um, what do you have in pick'em lobby? Scampers in the chat put out a good one. T Higgins is only giving nine and a half receiving yards to Judas Smith Schuster intriguing one in my book even just yards not mm-hmm. receptions here um i wouldn't be shocked to be honest with you if like we see 150 rushing yards from the Bengals. so wow i think that's a possibility in this game just they're in too high and they just say we're just just doing it i mean just smash them like they did last week like i think yeah. offensive line coaching positional coaching is so important Mm-hmm. So important. And I running is back in vogue in the league. These are four of the most efficient running teams in the league around top 10 or better. Yeah, it showed it showed up. If, if the I was looking, yeah, I was looking at like the half PPR data and like the running back 20 was just smashing the wide receiver like 30. It was not even close this year. So and the cool stuff that we saw last year was Sam Hubbard dropping again to that drop eight. And then now they're bringing Mike Hilton like all the way in these delayed rushes. It would be pretty cool to see drop eight and then Sam Hubbard almost replace Mike Hilton, who's coming from the backside, and then ask a hobbled Patrick Mahomes to avoid that sack. I think Lou's cooking right now. Lou definitely is cooking. So it basically comes in like, I, I agree with everything you're saying. It's just like, on a scale you're not betting against Patrick Mahomes, is what you're it's doing. like. One to ten is like how much magic does does Patrick Mahomes have? You yeah. probably put it at a nine. I probably put it at a ten, and we'll go from there. This is going to be an absolutely amazing game. Two incredible games. Hopefully, you all enjoyed this episode. Uh, Hayden recently posted his individual video on for all of you. You know, twenty eight other teams, twenty awesome trade predictions, free agency connections. Go and watch that on the channel. We have every Wednesday episode. night, by the way, uh, every like for the entire off season, Wednesday nights is kind of my my day of the week to post some stuff. So be ready oh. for Wednesday nights. I have not figured out scheduling on my end. We have scheme coming out tomorrow. Last week's was on Brock Purdy. It was fantastic. This week, it's our third quarterback quick look of prospects on Will Levis. 
I would just say it's the uh, confusing case of Will Levis. <laughs> Uh, it was a bit of a jump going from Bryce Young to CJ Stroud to Will Levis. That, but with so many people out there putting him in among the top quarterbacks, heck, maybe even the number one overall pick with a trade up, uh, it might be worth watching for all of you out there. And by the way, when you're listening to people say that he's going to be a top five pick, also listen to what they say. Not a single person outside of Mel Kuyper says that they actually believe in it. They always just say, like, they're thinking it. They're like, who is these? They, I, there's the stats, the his age, like all the excuses. Like, they're like, he lost Wandale Robinson, and that's why he wasn't good. Wandale Robinson. Yeah, I, I would say one, it's probably the turf toe. And I haven't watched 2021. Apparently, it's much better. Um, but the turf toe and losing Liam Cohen are probably the biggest things. Anyways, um, Cohen. I, what I will say, I'm not going to, you know, give away what we, say in the video tomorrow, but the comparisons because of size and arm to Josh Allen and Justin Herbert, there is one big differentiator and it's because those guys are so successful against pressure and can move away from it. And I really feel like that's where Will Levis fails is he's not nearly as athletic in the moments of when dropping back or moving laterally as those other guys that are Mm -hmm. superhumans. So when, when you guys watch scheme and everyone should be, not missing a single episode. Josh Norris, Josh McCown, two of the nicest guys in the league. Listen to the language. They don't want to be outright disrespectful. So you're going to have to really, you're going to have to really kind of dig into things. Unless they're being super complimentary, you have to read into when they're actually not believing in a prospect. Because these are two nice guys out here. They don't want to talk shit on any players. So you have to go out of your way to kind of find when they're like, eh, I'm not sure. Maybe this week will be one of those weeks. And the All mayo right. and the coffee. That's absurd. That's going to do it for us. We'll be back here next week with a bunch of content. Uh, check the YouTube channel, as always, for your podcast listeners, because that's where the majority of our content is going to be. But we have multiple episodes of Scheme coming out next week, one for each team ahead of the Super Bowl. Hayden and I have a big preview ahead with the two teams that are going to remain, and also a Pick'em video just for that game as well. Plus, we'll be in Arizona for the entire Super Bowl week, bring you content there as well. So the next two weeks, along with this weekend, should be very memorable. Thank you. I all won't for be hungover. I promise you. <laughs> Victor, Scampers, Tony, Pug, Donovan, all of you up the villa. We'll talk to you all soon. See you.